Good morning and welcome to The Soul Shop. I am your host, Phyllis King, and welcome. Today, my guest is Kevin Hancock, and he has the book you see on the screen, The Seventh Power. Uh, but I came across him many years ago when his book, Not For Sale, uh, Finding Peace in the Land of Crazy Horse, if I'm getting that correctly. And I was really fascinated by his personal journey, which took him to the Pine Ridge Reservation, to the Lakota Indians. And I'm going to let him tell much more of the story, but it was so fascinating to me, I had to learn more. So, and I just learned of these new books, and there's another one as well called 48 Whispers, which we'll talk about. But today we'll talk a lot about the seventh power and what that all means. So let's uh, start first by welcoming into the show. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for being here today. Phyllis, hello. It's great to be with you. You know, um, you have such a remarkable story. Um, I, I listen to a lot of people's story, but you are a CEO of um, a lumber company, a family-owned business that's 170 plus years old. That's a long time in the United States of America. Yeah, it sure is. Our company goes back to the 1840s and a part of the sixth generation of my family to work for the company. That's incredible. And I was reading in your book, The Seventh Power, that I guess you were an English and history teacher, and then your father passed from lymphoma and you were catapulted into the business. Is that what happened? Yes, that's exactly what happened. I, growing up, had never contemplated as a career working for the company. A lot of people might have looked at me and assumed, of course, that's where he'll end up. But it wasn't part of my plan. And I didn't have any real formal training or preparation for the uh, job I walked into. I had to, as is the case of life, Phillips, I really had to keep learning as I went along, learning by doing. Absolutely. Well, and I wondered why you were such a great writer. You're a fantastic writer. I'm like, how did he get to be such a good writer? Because I don't know, people who run businesses, they're usually pretty darn smart and entrepreneurial and all of that. But um, I love the right. money style. And so now Thank it you. makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's dig in a little deeper here, because you got into the business. And then within a period of time, um, you came upon um, a speech disorder, um, you call it SD, uh, you can say the name if you want, yes. where you couldn't speak, you lost your voice, and you started listening more and asking questions so that you could hear other points of view. And that's ultimately what led you to the Pine Ridge Reservation. So I'll let you say a little bit more about that, uh, that progression. Yeah, so 2010, the year 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse, which put a lot of pressure on lots of people, including our company. I suddenly uh, had trouble speaking, something I'd always taken for granted and actually done a lot of <laughs> as I thought about it in hindsight. As a CEO, my voice was my tool, and suddenly I couldn't use it and so anyway when it's hard to talk you quickly develop strategies for doing less of it and the strategy i adopted was to 
answer a question with a question, thereby putting the conversation back on the other person. So someone would come up to me at work with a question or a problem because I was the CEO and I started simply saying, gee, that's a good question. What do you think we should do about it? Now, at first, that was just to protect my voice and, and have the other person do the talking. But what really struck me over time, Phyllis, was this. People already knew what to do. They already had a great sense of what to do, and they didn't really actually need a CEO-centric or top-down directive. What they really needed was the encouragement and the safety to trust their own true voice. And that's um, what started to get me thinking really differently about leadership. And essentially, at time, I started to see my own voice limitation as an invitation hmm. to strengthen the voices of others, to give other people a stronger voice, which is sense to me how I come to think about the meaning of leadership. To me, in the 21st century, leaders, real leaders, make other people's voices stronger. Hmm. I love that. I love that. Now, I just, I'm, I'm, we're going to dive further into the story as you start your forays off into the Pine Ridge Reservation and the Lakota Indians. But I read in the book that from early on, you had some fascination or admiration with Buffalo. You were a child. Is, is, is that true? Is, am yeah, I we took remember? a trip back in uh, middle school when I was in middle school out to the Grand Tetons and uh, Yellowstone National Park. And I just loved hmm. that place and that experience and particularly was fascinated uh, by the buffalo. So I kind of had that early connection. And then as I got older, I started reading a lot about our country's history in the second half of the 20th century when our nation's quote-unquote manifest destiny ran into the Plains Indians. Anyway, in 2012, um, the economy had stabilized and I had this growing feeling I needed to serve myself a little bit more, kind of try to regain my voice on a spiritual and literal level. I didn't know how I was gonna do that, but that summer I picked up a copy of National Geographic and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was the cover story. And I read that article and just felt swept away by the story and said to my wife, as soon as I finished reading it, I'm going to go there. I want to see what life's like for the people who live there. So I took one trip in 2012 and one trip became two and uh, in spring, when I go back, I think it'll be my 25th visit, Phyllis. But at the core, what the connection there is at Pine Ridge, I met an entire community that did not feel fully heard, that felt as if a piece of their authentic voice 
had been taken or stolen or marginalized. So putting the two events together, I really got thinking about voice and how there are lots of ways for humans to lose it in this world. And that, unfortunately, leaders throughout history had probably done more to control and direct the voices of others than to liberate them. And then I had a bit of an epiphany that that maybe my own voice condition was an invitation mm. to lead in a very different way, in a way that strengthened the voices of others and dispersed power instead of collected, collected it. Well, yeah. And that, of course, is uh, what the book is about. Correct. The seventh power, uh, which is very in-depth about the process and stories, and it really helps us understand your process and how you came to these awareness. Uh, but the seventh power is us, apparently. Yeah, so it, I picked up that concept at, at Pine Ridge. I was sitting one day early on with someone who was teaching me about the Lakota medicine wheel which is their most sacred symbol. And around the outside of the wheel, uh, the wheel represents what they talk about as the six great external powers, the west, north, east, south, sky, and earth. But this gentleman then pointed to the, seventh, the center of the wheel, excuse me, and said there at the center, some who know the old ways of the Sioux will tell you that a seventh power lives. And that seventh power is you. It's me. It's the individual human spirit. And wherever you go, you are at the center of your universe. And you're surrounded by other forces and elements and presences that are powerful and sacred, but you yourself are one of them. So seventh power is really a, a symbol of the individual human spirit. Well, I love all of this. And uh, a Native American, I mean, when we say that in a broad term, there are different tribes, but their relationship to the earth and not being wasteful and the, our, that we are part of the, the system, that we're not separate from them, from the system. I think that's what's so beautiful. Yes. It. It's so uh, th that really struck me too, Phyllis, that Sue or the Lakota talk that used the phrase, and translated, it means all things are one thing, mm -hmm. or we're all relatives, or mm -hmm. we're all related. And the point there is that separateness is an illusion. And even scientifically or spiritually, this makes sense. The idea is that everything that exists is all comprised of the same stardust. Mm. It's all connected. Just 
manifesting in different forms. And so if anything is sacred, then everything is sacred. But Sue have a great word for um, phrase for child. Uh, it's Wakan Yeja, which means holy one. And if every child is sacred, then every adult is sacred. We don't lose our sacredness. And I've become really uh, endeared by the idea of modern organizations, including uh, businesses, mm -hmm. being places that honor, not thwart, that sacred nature of the individual human spirit. Well, that's revolutionary at the very least, but it's fascinating to think that this tribe or these tribes have had this point of view forever and you know these uh, these communities have been nearly wiped off the planet at points in our history which we have to embrace of course uh, and before we go further into the leadership principles which i'm certain you apply in your daily life um how is it for the people at this point? I mean, it would seem having been robbed of the land and so many people, you know, the genocides that occurred and the poverty and so much that goes on and, and how their sovereignty has been uh, taken over. I mean, but they've reclaimed it in some ways. What's the communities like? Are, are they happy people? Do they embrace you? Do they allow you in at this point? What's it like to be part of these communities of who have this wisdom from the ages, essentially. It's a great question. It's such a dichotomy. On the one hand, well, statistically, Pine Ridge is the poorest place in America. Unemployment is 70 to 80 percent. Median income, I think, is around $10,000 housing in many places. It's severely substandard, all kinds of problems with substance abuse and suicide and really tragic things. And yet, and yet in other ways, it's, it's tough to say it the right way, but it's one of the happiest communities I've ever visited. Yet there's people just exceptionally resilient and despite their economic challenges it, they're just really rich in spirit and it's actually a very warm friendly energizing life giving place to visit even though you're surrounded by so much kind of economic and social misfortune. It's, it's a microcosm of planet Earth, really it, with, with uh, blown up and magnified. And that's part of what fascinates me about the place. Hmm. Now, if I'm recalling correctly from the book, it, the the tribes were taken over by organization bureaucracy essentially 
And that's part of the downfall and why they have some of these economic challenges, because in the past they were able to make use of the land and sustain their lives. But we came in and essentially rewrote their stories as. Well, that's that's part of my take on it. Everyone would have a different perspective, but pre before the reservation era, their communal structure was highly decentralized. And the seventh power ruled. No one was appointed leader. You followed someone if you respected them and their values and their decision making. And you, but you only followed them as long as it served you. If, if it made sense to move or change clans, uh, per se, you did that. Then when um, the reservation era began, the, we, the American government imposed a very bureaucratic, top-down, centralized, polar opposite structure under which they've really struggled economically. And even in the 60s, when those reservations were given a great bit of autonomy, all that ended up happening was they ended up run, running the same systems that were imposed upon them. And so while they're the keepers of this wisdom around the power of the individual human spirit uh in some ways that spirit hasn't really re-blossomed within their communities in terms of um how they're governed i see okay and then of course that decentralization is goes into your leadership uh, ideas as we'll progress in a moment. Um, I, I, I want to bring up real quickly, I know we're talking about The Seventh Power, which is an amazing, wonderful, fantastic book, um, but it seems to go hand in hand with this one, which is going to be on my coffee table forever, and it's going to be a gift for many people. I, I tell you, Kevin, I opened this book, started reading it. I almost wanted to cry, and I'll tell you why, because it was moving. It, it just made me feel part of something and it made it so clear I was part of something greater than myself. And you're, I guess you're a photographer as well. Is there anything you don't do? Let me see if I, as we go through this book, we see these incredible photos of which you've taken them all apparently. Yeah, I It's hard did, for me to hold right. it to the camera and turn the pages, but you take pictures and then there's a little words of wisdom or little vignettes that little dispense of wisdom uh, about the, the thing. But I just love this. I thought it was so moving and I, I felt more expanded. I felt wiser. I felt tapped into my own wisdom. That's it. And like, oh, this is so this is makes me feel like me. So was that the purpose? That makes me so happy that. That is the purpose of the book, 48 Whispers. Uh, I, um, w when I would go to Pike Ridge before and after every trip, I would go spend time alone, either in the Black Hills or on the Northern Plains, and really immerse myself with 
nature. And when I did, I just felt different. I just felt more grounded, alive, connected, uh, and ideas that would flow, spirit would flow. So I wanted to put out a little book that kind of honored that and, and really making the point, Phyllis, that we we change the world by first working on ourselves, bringing ourselves fully into our maximum vitality, honoring our own power, our own spirit. This gets back to the seventh power, but 48 Whispers is really about working on your own inner wellness first at learning to see the world from the inside out first by turning inward gaining strength and understanding of our own true voice and then bringing it forth into the world and i would say one of the feelings that came over me and we'll get back to the seventh power momentarily but when i opened that book um i suddenly wasn't going to sweat the small stuff suddenly the picture of life looked much larger to me and that felt much better to me all in all. So thank you. That's just a beautiful work on, and on every level, visually and uh, on a heart level. Thank you. Okay. So back to the seventh power of course, but I, I do feel like they go together. I mean, and sort of not for sale. It's all, the trilogy. I think they all are, they go together. I don't have that graphic or the book in my hot little hands, but um, <laughs> so the basics of this book, essentially is that we want to, um, in leadership, it's about the person, it's about the follower, it's not about the leader, it's about the employee, we're empowering the employee or bringing the best out of the employee rather than the employee honoring the leader, is this, is this the yes. essence of it? Yeah, exactly, I really take on the tradition of leadership and make the case in the book that historically, organizations, whether they are corporations, nation states, or even religions, have organized themselves around the idea of power to the center. So you work in a company that you're there to serve the company. In this new model, um, that I'm talking about, the idea is to flip that script. So an organization exists to serve the people who belong to it. And I've applied that to our company and suggested others do the same. At our company, Hancock Lumber today, our first mission is to make work meaningful in more than just economic ways for the people who do it. How now, do you, yeah, how do, what does that look like on the ground? Well, it's actually really easy and it looks lovely and it's very fluid and fast moving. And when you disperse power and share leadership, leadership gets lighter for uh, everyone. I What I like to say is the old model is hard. Holding on to power takes all kinds of rules and regulations and 
check-ins and penalties and punishments and, yeah. and that's hard letting people have their own authentic voice that's easy creating um decision making processes that are inclusive it just requires leadership restraint which is really having the power but not using it and having the patience for process and the respect for uh, diversity of voices there's a lot of great talk about diversity of uh color or background or orientation uh, which i love uh, but i'm really after respect for the diversity city of voices mm. humans are unique by design mm. no two humans will ever be identical and that's not coincidental that's mm. how it's supposed to be set up and what we really need for a thriving society either at the corporate level or the planetary level it's for everyone to be comfortable in their own true voice. Mm -hmm. But that's so counterculture to the way mm -hmm. we've been indoctrinated that it doesn't come quickly or easily. We've all been taught to be guarded, to be cautious mm -hmm. with our voice. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm really about trying to get everyone to let themselves let their voice go and the idea it's simple to me um but so powerful it's it's this you are amazing exactly where you are as you are mm. nothing has to change for you to be amazing mm. wow i would think with that ideology present there's not much turnover at hancock lumber no, I mean, no, we've really, uh, well, put it this way, a couple of statistics. Uh, Gallup, the poll, the famous polling company, does research every year on employee engagement and, and nationally runs about 33%, meaning two out of three people at work don't feel engaged by their work. It's just an economic exercise. Uh, we do third-party surveys every year on that question, and we've got across 630 people at our company. Our engagement score this year uh, hit 90%, meaning nine out of 10 people at our company will say, yeah, this is meaningful to me. This is valuable to me beyond just a paycheck. Incredible. Wow, and, that's, that's incredible. Right. And so obviously that will have a huge impact on corporate performance, but it's really important to qualify that. That's okay. not why... Uh, I'm after that. I, I'm after engagement at work because these are human beings mm -hmm. who devote a large percentage of their life mm -hmm. to their job. And what a waste it would be for that not to be meaningful. Mm. When you make it meaningful as an outcome, 
corporate performance can take off. But you've got to have the right purpose behind it. It's not for the sake of the company. It's for the sake of the people who work there. And corporate performance becomes the outcome of a higher calling. I, I think in the 21st century, every corporation should have the same mission. It's to advance humanity. And when you think about how humanity is advanced, it's only advanced one human at a time. And if you're going to advance humanity through adults, you need to do it where adults hang out and a large percentage of them hang out at work. <laughs> and it just so happens it will improve the performance of companies, but only if you're really sincere about what you're after, which is helping people enrich their lives for that sake alone. Well, that is so beautiful and fascinating, but I think it takes a lot of courage because it is going counterculture. And uh, maybe you already had a proclivity toward that mindset, but it seemed like your speaking disorder really prompted you to take this personal journey, which really opened up um, all these new or these ideas became more entrenched in your thinking. Uh, that's just, uh, just I love it. I, I personally love it so much, and I wish people would follow that model. So I think it would be fun to go over. Um, I have to get my glasses for this one. Um, when I reflected on the entire journey, seven lessons crystallized. And then uh, one great people are everywhere. Yes. So th that might be my favorite right there. We, um, when I started at Antcott Lumber over 30 years ago, we had sweatshirts that said, our people make the difference. It's kind of a common phrase but i've come to believe that's not true i believe great people are everywhere culture makes the difference and i think history plays this out over and over again look for example at Ger germany divided after world war ii that country was arbitrarily divided in a line between East and West. West Germany, which really thrived on the power of the individual human spirit versus East Germany, which was a totalitarian power to the center model. West Germany became an economic engine that propelled the world forward. East Germany hung on under um, machine gun turrets and guard towers until it collapsed under its own weight. But does anybody really think that the difference between the two countries was that all the quote unquote best Germans happened to be on the west side of that line? Of course not. The entire uh, Two Germanys were filled with amazing people. It was the leadership culture that made the difference. Same is true of North Korea and South Korea today. I think the South Korean economy is like 45 times larger than the North Korean economy. But 
you wouldn't say that's because all the best Koreans ended up south of that line. There are amazing people on both sides of that line. So I really think we've got that wrong. Everybody's amazing, but the culture of the community either um, either celebrates the human spirit, the seventh power, mm-hmm. or it thwarts it. Mm. That, that makes so much sense and puts it in a, a, a broader perspective again, which makes sense so much. I guess culture makes the difference. Change is created from within. Localize and shrink the center. What does that mean? Localize yes, yes. I think that throughout history, leadership has been about collecting power, pulling it to the center, holding on to control. In the 21st century, in the Aquarian age, what's wanting to happen is power dispersal. Now, think literally even about how, say, energy is being generated. That old model was isolated, large power plants. Today, you're getting a glimpse of the new model. Every rooftop has a solar panel. Every field has a windmill. Even the the physical generation of power is actually being dispersed. But on a human level, in the Aquarian age, individuals are wanting to come into their own power. And we can resist that or... Uh, which makes no sense, (laughs) or we can embrace that and go with it. This is the age of power dispersal. And what that means for an organization is essentially make the center smaller, push power out, give it back to the people who are actually doing the work. So um, there's so much more in this book, The Seventh Power, the stories like you've shared and the examples that really illustrate the points you make. What's next for you? Are are there more books, more trips back to the Lakotas? Uh, What's happening? Yeah, I I keep going back to Pine Ridge every six months or so, like twice a year. So that's number one. Number two, within our own company, uh, you constantly have to be working to lead the right way. And so my work at Hancock Lumber continues to be a priority. But having been at that work within our company for over a decade and seeing the transformative difference it has in the human experience and the performance of the company, I'm really now devoting some energy to try to spread these ideas because I've had a chance now to not just think about it, Phyllis, but to actually do it yes. and not just do it for a you know a season, but for a, a decade. So I've got a, a website up and running now titled uh, the, the Business of Shared Leadership. And on that site are all kinds of resources around the subjects we're 
it's got sick and I'm really just trying to make myself available to um, be where there is interest in this type of inverted leadership model and, and where people are interested in, in strengthening the voices of others, whether that's in a reservation community like Pine Ridge or a corporate setting like Hancock Lumber. Anywhere there's an interest in helping people honor their authentic voice, uh, like your, you and your work and your show, I'm interested in being there. I love it. So the website is, say the website one more time. Yeah, it's the uh, Business of Shared Leadership, www.thebusinessofsharedleadership.com. Well, the book we've been talking about today is, of course, The Seventh Power by Kevin Hancock and its partner, 48 Whispers. And if you get a chance, not for sale, uh, Finding Peace in the Land of Crazy Horse. Are those all on the website as well? They are, yes. Well, they're all fantastic reads, and I'm really grateful for your contributions and all the effort you've put into your own self-discovery and helping us understand these principles. Kevin Hancock, thank you so much for being here today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Phyllis.